0: Hello, and welcome to The Carl Taylor Show. I am your host, Carl Taylor. And this show is all about helping entrepreneurs along one of the greatest personal growth journeys that you can go on. And that's running your own business, which I've been doing now for almost two decades. And today's episode is one that I recorded on the Suspended Animation Podcast with Darren Saul. And in this episode, I go a bit more into my personal development journey, going from being a naive, introverted high school entrepreneur to a best-selling author and financially retiring at 31. I reveal the motivations behind my decisions and the actions in both my professional and personal life. And I also share my thoughts on various business models and success secrets on how you can actually build a business that works without you, which is a really important point that I truly believe everyone, no matter where you are in business, it's important to learn how to build a business that works without you. And here's a hint. It's all about the teams you build and the systems that you implement. So let's get into the episode. calling all entrepreneurs, small business owners, lifelong learners, and people of earth. I'm calling you to step up into the greatest version of you, a happier you, a healthier you, a more loving you, a you that is truly feeling healthy, fulfilled, and alive. My name is Carl Taylor, and I've been building businesses since I was 15 years old. And the one thing that has always, always stood out to me is that running your own business, no matter how successful or not, will be the best personal development journey you ever Ever go on. And so, in this show, I share with you some of the most important lessons that I've learned and continue to learn on my journey in the hope that it may help you guide you in yours. You're listening to The Carl Taylor Show.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Darren Saul here, your host of Playing With Perspective, the suspended animation podcast, episode 109. And we're going to be chatting today about building businesses that work without you with the fantastic Carl Taylor. Carl, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing amazing, Darren. So great Uh, to be here.
1: uh, Thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. And who is Carl? Carl Taylor is an entrepreneur, number one best-selling author, and Australia's leading freedom-focused business strategist. After teaching himself to code in the mid-90s, he started his first business in 2001 at the age of 15 And went on to sell three businesses and become the author of a number one business book, all before the age of 25. In fact, Carl is a best-selling author of two personal growth books: "Red Means Go" and his latest book, "Becoming Bulletproof." After financially retiring at the age of 31, lucky man, his focus shifted from self-security towards contribution and being a guiding light for others through his books speaking, social media content, and privately held businesses. He's also the CEO and founder of Automation Agency, a digital marketing implementation service that gives you a team that you don't have to hire, manage, or train to build your funnels and action many of your marketing tasks. His fundamental belief is that business and wealth are best used to create a rising tide that raises the standards of living for all. So Carl, welcome, my friend.
0: All oh, right, it's so great to be here. And hear, hearing, you know, it's not often you hear your own bio read out to you. Right. Um, I pretty. That sounds pretty cool. It's impressive, yeah.
1: and when did you get the time, <laughs> but obviously you started very young.
0: Yes, I started when I was fifteen. Well, my first official business, you know, with an ABN and all of that, was I was yep. fifteen years old, and, uh, and just
1: well, let's <laughs> actually, I'd love to take it down that path because you're obviously extremely entrepreneurial. You're thinking that way, so I'd love to hear the backstory. Tell us how you were as a kid, and tell us more about that first business.
0: Mm, well, I'll start with as a kid. It, it's interesting. I, it, you know, in in more recent years, I've really kind of reflected on this. I have yeah. considered. You know, I always thought oh, I, my entrepreneurialness started at fifteen when I started my first business. But no, I I always, as a young kid, wanted to be an inventor. Right. Um. I wanted to invent. You know. I wanted to create. Uh, solar powered cars i wanted to create spaceships. you know i wanted to be elon musk basically right, okay, before, nice. before i knew who elon musk was right. i was about um, to say but, you
1: wanted to become leonardo da vinci but anyway
0: yeah well i yeah i hadn't thought of that but i guess of, of our time like elon musk is is a big uh, i'm a big yep. fan of elon and, and so you know i was i remember new year's eve i used to go um, with my parents and my grandparents um to a friend of my grandmother's and there would be this, this older lady, her name was, uh, I think it was Lois. You know, this older lady there that I used to love chatting to. I think she was in her 90s. Yep. And she, I would, she would ask me all these questions about these sketches and drawings of these inventions. And I would share my plans of how yep. these cool things I wanted to create. And then I remember that after watching Jurassic Park, um, my cousin and his family, they owned some land uh, a bit f- south of Sydney. And uh, they just had like a little caravan kind of on it, but there was this big land and you know, so he and I then like sketched out ideas of how we were going to turn it into our version of Jurassic park. And (laughs) when I look at that now, I can, I can see that there's, there was an entrepreneurialness there. I wasn't necessarily thinking about how do I make money, but I was looking at how do I create, how do I create experiences? How do I create new products? How do I push humanity forward? How do I create these really cool ideas? You're always Um, an ideas man. There were always plenty mm, of
1: ideas running through your head.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, over, over time, like even in high school, I can't remember if it was before or after starting my first official business, but you know, back in the day of, you could illegally download a movie and put it on a DVD. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I, I may have done a few little trades for dollars for, yeah. with friends back in the day as one of the only people who had DVD burners and things on my computer. No, no. Um, but like really the first business was zany effects. Right. And like, even for zany effects. What it ended up being, and I think this is true of many people when they start their first business, what it ended up being was very different to my grand vision. Yeah. My grand vision was that one day I wanted to be like Lucas lights and film, like lights and arts. Like I wanted to do yeah. special effects. I thought that'd be really cool. I loved movies. It'd be cool to have like a special effects company. I'm only 15 years old. I don't have the capital resources to, to pull that off. What can I do? I could sell costumes i could rent and sell costumes from from movies and star wars episode one had recently come out around that time i think it was around 2001
1: nice
0: and uh so darth maul if you if you're a star wars fan he's the guy with like the red and black faces and little horns um and so darth maul was the first costume that i very early days of internet i borrowed money from my grandmother i went online and i bought i, I bought this costume had it sent out um and that was my first costume that i was going to sell and i built this website taught myself html and, and coding to build a website uh to to try and promote these products i then also um was once the costume idea kind of failed i i'm skipping a bit ahead i guess but the, the costume idea kind of failed because i was 15 all my friends was really who I considered my market. I didn't, yep. I didn't know about anything else really. Yep. Um, and no one really wanted to buy or rent this costume. They thought no, it looked there was cool. no eBay
1: back then, wasn't it? <laughs>
0: oh, well, they, I don't know. That's a good question. I can't remember when eBay first started, but it was very, very early days of people buying and selling online. Like that was not something people were doing. Okay. So even though I had the website, like it was me really trying to convince friends to <laughs> who I personally knew to buy or sell <laughs> this thing. Um, and, what it led to is like, Oh, I'm going to go bigger and expand. And so then I started looking into like, um, like gadgets. I've always been a gadget, man. I started seeing like, you know, like spy pens for movies, you know, like James Bond style stuff. Could we sell that? And so I found a supplier online. I think it was Cod called odd spy, which I think they're still around today. I found this supplier called Oz, Oz um, spy. And I reached out to them and I set up a, a reseller account, a wholesale account so I could buy products at, at wholesale. And then I updated my website to now list all these products. I was doing all this though, but I had no one coming to the website. There was no traffic. There was no one looking to buy this stuff, but I was just having fun.
1: Yeah.
0: The, it didn't really turn into a real true business until I pivoted from being, trying to be an e-commerce store way ahead of the time of people trying to do e-com. Uh, today, it probably would have been really successful. I'd just sign up to Shopify and I'd yeah. probably be going crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened is I was working at a pizza place after school. And next door there was this guy who had a um, sports memorabilia auction um, products, and he was quite he was quite popular. He was selling his stuff on nine msn at the time, um, but he would come in at pretty well every day that I was there and buy a pick and because I was the first one there opening the shop. We just get chatting and I don't remember exactly how it all happened, but he kind of eventually he's, he was saying, Oh, I really, I'd really like to build like my own auction website. I'd like people to be able to like buy and bid on, on our products outside of the nine MSN product. Nice. And I just said to him, Oh, I could probably help you with that. Cause I was a techie and a coder and I taught myself to code and I loved that kind of stuff. And so he became my first paying client of zany yeah. effects, the web design and web development company that it was. And then I got into hosting and I used to go on online forums and try and get up, pick up clients on these online forums. Cause I was very introverted. I was still young. I wasn't, you know, out there knocking on doors or doing, I didn't have the cash to put going to yellow pages back then. Cause yellow pages was very expensive for that in, in that, that day and age. And, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the very first business, ZanyFX. And I did that all through high school, web design, uh, web development and hosting. And I had, I had hosting clients that I'd never met who had just found me online through forums or I'd found them and we'd connected. Uh, but most of pretty well all my website design sales had been through connections of people I personally knew. But the hosting stuff was purely generated online, which was amazing. And then eventually after I finished high school, I sold that business for the grand total of $600 uh, (laughs) over MSN Messenger. For anyone who remembers MSN Messenger, um, I I basically reached out to one of my suppliers who was providing the hosting uh, platform that we were reselling. And I just reached out and said, hey, I'm thinking of selling my business. Um, You're you're already hosting it. It would make sense. You could just basically take over the clients and take over everything. Because I'd finished high school and I was contemplating my life and I was, what do I really want to do? That's kind of why I got to that point. And anyways, he goes, I'll give you, I'll give you $400 for it. And uh, over (laughs) MSN, I was like, Oh no, you know, I knew that you should at least negotiate no idea how to value a company. I now know that he got a pretty good deal. I could have got a lot more for the, for the sales and the recurring revenue we had. And you know, there there was actually a bit more value to it, not not a huge amount more, but probably I could have got at least four grand, I reckon. Um, And he I went back and said, Oh no, give me 600. And he's like done. And that, there was no, no signed paperwork. None of that. Like just it, that was how the sale was done. It was a really dodgy deal. Yeah. Um, but it got me out of that. And it kind of, eventually I, I took a hiatus from business for a bit. I went and got an apprenticeship, uh, doing audio visual installation, home automation, and uh, and then I was in these really rich people's houses, like right on the waterfronts harbor in Sydney. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, if I stay on this path, I'm going to turn into my boss, who was lovely, yeah. um, driving this truck around all the time. I was like, I don't want to be him. I want to be the clients he's serving. I want to have all this cool stuff exactly. in my house. Exactly. And so I decided to quit my apprenticeship and get back into business. And my dad was um, in the early days of he was doing a lot of different things, but he was doing some computer stuff. And so I went back to dad and I said, let me get involved and buy into this IT business and let's make this legit. You're really good at hardware. I'm really good at software. Let's let's make a go of this IT company. And we had that for eight years. Wow. So, um, Man, yeah. We- Are you liking this episode? Then why not leave a short review and hit me up at carltaylor.com. Send me a screenshot of your review and I will send you a nice surprise gift.
1: I mean, and I want to jump just a little ahead um, before I get into this in more detail later on. But when did the writing start? Let me see, when did the writing book start? Also, a young age.
0: Ah, uh, that was 24, 24. I wrote, so I wrote Red Means Go uh, between Christmas and New Year's, uh, 2009. Wow. And that came about because I'd gone to a seminar by someone who's actually now a, a good friend of mine, Dale Beaumont.
1: Oh, and no yeah of course I know Dale
0: yeah. yeah so back then it was kind of before business blueprint which is his big thing now existed uh, he was doing a program called profile. so i remember i went to one of his seminars didn't know him at this this stage and um, he was teaching about you know writing a book yeah. and i remember sitting in that audience and i didn't buy his product but i remember coming away from that particular seminar going like i'd really love to write a book and um, and then my father at christmas had given me a book from someone he knew in his bni group um, uh, Kylie Legg, I think was her name. And she'd written a book called how to write a book in seven days or less. And he gave me that for Christmas. So I read that Christmas day and straight away that just inspired me to go, I'm going to start. And so I started writing the book, uh, Christmas day, or at least the next day maybe. Um, and, uh, yeah, then it was done by, by new years. And
1: And that became a best number one bestseller.
0: Yeah. So it became number one on iTunes in the audio, uh, in the audio edition. And, uh, that was yeah that was pretty pretty cool like it was it was really great, and then it took ten years for the next book to come out becoming <laughs> be, becoming bulletproof. I wrote that uh just before christmas yep.
1: um,
0: in also five days, uh, but just before Christmas last year, two thousand and nineteen so <laughs> it was uh, took ten years I said I was going to write another book many times, and it took ten years for it to actually happen, not not the writing but all the learning and the experience to be able to feel like I had something that just poured out of me like red means go the content just poured out of me becoming bulletproof the content just poured out of me that's why it was able to be written so fast because it was not like i'd already done the 10 years of research before if that makes sense
1: have to work to do it it was it was in you and it, you just had to let it out yeah. Oh, yeah fantastic well we'll kind of get into that a little bit later on but my first question for you is obviously you know a lot of people fall into the trap when they're starting a business of you know working as a solopreneur doing everything themselves. I'm a creative person. So I'm a control freak. I want to do everything myself. I don't trust anybody to do anything. You know, no, nobody's going to do it as well as I can, which is absolute rubbish. So building a business that runs without you is hard work and scary for a lot of people. So I want to get your take on that. What's, you know, over the years, you've done this a lot. What's, what's your, um, your thoughts behind that?
0: Well, I would challenge the thought process that it's hard. I would say that it's uh, complex, potentially. Well, actually, actually, I'll, I'll I'll rephrase. It is actually quite simple. It does require work, but I would challenge the thought process and the story that you or listeners might be telling themselves that this is too hard to do. Cause it's definitely not, if I can do it and anyone can do it, like I I don't pretend to be like special or smarter than other people or, you know, there was a time in my ego that maybe I did, but I do not believe <laughs> that. Um, so if I can do it and lots of other people can do it, like anyone can do this, it, it's, it's about a mindset shift. Really. That's what it is. It truly is. Like it, it, it's got nothing to do with anything else. It, it, that's actually, that's not true. There's a mindset shift. That's the most important. And then the second is a business model shift.
1: Gotcha. No, nice.
0: Because not every business model, if you've built up a business model that revolves around an individual, you, yep. um, that model is not scalable. Like if, if someone calls up and they're looking to, you know, if you've got Pete's hardware store and every time they call up, they're looking to speak to Pete, you've created a business model. You've created a business name. You've created a problem that is ultimately uh, bottlenecking and restricting the growth of the, of the business. Right. So even my current business automation agency, when I first started that six, I think it was about six years ago, um, I made the same mistake all over again. I started building this business around me because I needed cash. I'd got to the point where I was, I, when I started automation, agency I had five grand left in the bank. And I know for some people, that's a lot of money. And for other people, that's not a lot of money, but like I was, I'd five grand left in the bank and I had more than five grand in expenses. So I was, I was freaking out. And so I started automation agency. Um, and I just needed cash. So I started consulting. Right, and I think that's the biggest. That's the biggest one where a lot of people go. I'm just going to consult, or I'm going to coach, and they're doing it one on one. And that's the biggest trap of it's it's swapping time for money. <laughs> and you can start to be strategic, and you can start to do a few little things smart, where you might get a little bit of leverage in it. But if you don't ultimately fully change the business model,
1: um,
0: you you get trapped in it. And so that's that's really what has to happen. You need to make this switch in your mind to be able to trust yeah. to know. That guess what? people probably won 't do it as well as you will. There will also be some people who probably do it better than you that's would right, yeah. and if you can afford to hire them, that's amazing, and if you can't uh, that's okay too like i, I here, Here's my attitude on this, and I, I think I've got a social media quote that basically says this, but it's like I, I would always prefer average action multiplied yep. than a single perfect performance I love right it. and and I I could show up and I know what, even what I do now, like my team do, yeah. there are a lot of things that they do that I can do. That's how I started the business. A lot of what they do, I could do originally. Now they're probably a lot better than me because I haven't done it for a while. That's right. But in the beginning, they were really delivering a lot of average results, and even now, I would say in some situations what they 're delivering is probably still only eighty percent sixty percent of what I might deliver in that same scenario. The difference is that we're serving over two hundred and fifty odd clients right now there 's no way in hell that I could personally serve two hundred and fifty odd clients like we've, we we have a far bigger impact, far greater income um, all because we 've got a bit more of that average and i can i 'm okay with the fact that they might not deliver it exactly the way I would do it. If it was you want
1: there. to scale, it's the only way you have to let go a little. There's no other way. So, so as you say, it's a mindset shift and it's a business model shift. And that's probably the toughest one of all is the business model shift because we're so used to doing something in a certain way and we have a vision for something to totally change that business model is the, is the thing that has to be done and you
0: can transition that though because like when i when i went from the the full-priced marketing service where i was the salesperson i was writing copy for people i was the project manager i had designers i had other people doing bits of the process but i was still such a core part of of that business model in the beginning you know that was still bringing in good cash we were bring in ten thousand dollar projects and all of a sudden i switched to a business model where at the time we were charging 199 australian dollars in yeah. gst for this unlimited, you know, graphic design, web development, automation stuff, to go from a t- selling ten grand projects to selling a two hundred dollar a month pro- product, there's a huge income gap. So there had to be a transition where we were pushing that, but then we'd still take on a few projects to keep cash flow flowing. Yeah. Um, but once you get to a certain point, you you know, we got to a pivot point where it was like, okay, we're just going to stop taking on projects now, and we're just going to really. Yep. try and drive pushing this. And, um, and that's kind of what we did. So, yeah. And
1: that kind of makes sense. Cause that kind of brings me to my next question um, in that, what are some of the key ingredients of building a business model like that? And obviously even in that transition, you just explained at a certain point, your systems have to change. Mm. And so that's why you have to make that draw that line in the sand. So what are, in your view, after doing this successfully for so many years, what are some of the key ingredients for building a system or a business model that runs this way?
0: So the first thing is the key ingredient is realizing that you've got to get away from swapping time for money. Yep. Um, you in particular your time for money, but if you can build a model that is not linking, because here's the thing, the time for money model is not aligned. Like in my IT company I had, you know, years ago we sold it in 2011. Um, we learned this lesson. It was like, the, what's, when you, your computer's broken, right, you want it fixed as fast as possible, right? You're just like, how do I fix it? Now, as, a, as, a consult, as an IT consultant, IT repair person, you're charging hourly potentially for your work, do you want to take it you want it to take as long as possible because that means you make more money. If you if you can fix it in 3 hours, like if you can fix it fast in like 15 minutes, you're shooting yourself in the foot and you're making less money than if it would take you 3 hours. That's why a lot of computer people, they'll come in, they'll fix the problem in 5 minutes and then they'll go, "Oh, let's just do a bit of cleanup on your computer. Let's they're finding other things to do so they can justify their hour or 2 hours of work." Yeah. And so when you can move away from that and if you can just go more of a fixed price for here's the value I'm going to deliver to you. I'm going to fix your computer. You want it done in 15 minutes. If we can get it done in 15 minutes, it's amazing. It's too, like I remember an IT company, we created a product that was virus cleanups. Right. I can't remember the price, it might have been 250 bucks. I don't know. We had a flat rate virus cleanup price. Nice. Some computers took us weeks to true. To, they were so badly infected, they took us weeks to clean up. And for others, we could do them within like an hour or two and they'd be clean and ready to go. But we just made it a fixed price. We made it super simple. The client knew, we will give you back a computer that doesn't have viruses. Yep. You just pay us this amount and we'll do it as quickly as we possibly can to deliver what you need. So that's the first thing is if you, you've you got to get away from going this idea of creating this friction of the client wants something fast. You need to take longer to do it to act, or charge a higher price yep. to to actually make this worth your while. Because if you're good at what you do and you're swapping time for money, you're shooting yourself in the foot, the faster, you know, the, the better value you give your client, you're actually making less money. So you've got to get away from the first thing is, start looking at your business model of how can I have a fixed deliverable price of I will give you this result for this price.
1: Yeah, where the client if you start paying, thinking about that. The client is paying for a result, not your hourly time. Your time.
0: Correct. Correct. And that that starts with you as the business owner being able to make that shift. Then the the second part is you've got to then try and educate because sometimes if it's new to that market, you've got to educate clients to start seeing it that way too. Uh, The other thing I would really encourage, obviously it's not necessary, but I'm a big fan of recurring revenue. If you're looking at your business model, um, you can build scalable businesses where it's a one-time product or offer, but it is so much more expensive to go and find new clients all the time, yeah. like buying customers, which is what marketing is. You're either buying it with your time by going and doing networking stuff and you know posting on LinkedIn and whatever else you're doing yeah. manually, or you're buying it by running ads. And that gets you like you're buying customers at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And um, that is so expensive compared to you get an existing client and you can sell them something else. You can sell them something else. Now there's multiple ways you can do that. You could, you know, they bought the entry-level product. Now you sell them the next level product and then there's maybe an extra or, or they cross-level. Like you bought this thing, we've cleaned your carpets. We can also now, you know, clean the windows on your house and like, you, you know, there's other things you can do. Yeah. But the best business models and the world is very quickly going this way. Uh, in the last six years since we started our subscription side of things, like the way the world has moved more subscription even faster is crazy. Like if you can build some sort of subscription model... Mm-hmm. That's even better, where it's like they just pay you this much per month, and they get a certain deliverable. So
1: true, so true.
0: Um, so that's really important from a business model standpoint. Let's 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 move back from the business model for a moment, though, and let's talk a little bit more operational. Yeah, a really important success secret here is you got to start building teams, and you got to start leading people, and you got to start being willing to learn leadership. And there's a difference between leadership and um,
1: in management. Yes, yes,
0: exactly. Like, it, like, uh, There's kind of a few different levels when I think about in business, right? Most of us always, it's not always true, but most of us get into what I call the self-employed level. That's the beginning level. Like self-employed, we were passionate about this thing. We come up with this idea. We're maybe swapping time for money. And at the self-employed level, we're we're busy. like We're having fun because this is exciting. I'm going to create a new logo and I'm going to do this and I've got my own business. Mom, check out the name of my business. Isn't it great? And then like, eventually what's going to happen is you either stay stuck at that level, making minimal income, or maybe you're making okay income, but you're working really, really hard. And you then have to move up to the manager level. You're going to start eventually hiring people, whether that be hiring full-timers, part-timers, or a bunch of freelancers that you're managing, but you're going to move. The only way you're going to start to get a bit more freedom is to move up to the manager level. But here's the part that people don't realize is that when you go from self-employed to manager, your workload doesn't decrease. It actually increases. You're doing less of the do stuff because you're getting more support, but now you're managing people. You've got a lot more... you're, you got fires you're putting out. You're kind of going around in a bit of a roundabout. Like you think everything's going great. Isn't this amazing? And then one of your team members does something wrong. They screw something up. A client's now outraged. And then now you're like exhausted from handling complaints and trying to fix the problem. And you start going like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to just go back to just being me? <laughs> just have me in the business?
1: Because before you're responsible for just one person. Now you're responsible for your whole team. So that, well, you, you,
0: yeah. And you had control, you had control over when it was just you. Like if you, if you made a mistake, you, you were willing to own that. Whereas if one of your team members make a mistake, especially if it's something you're like, oh, I wouldn't have made that mistake. You can feel frustrated. You can feel annoyed. And if that costs you money, like it has for me many times over the years, when a team members made a mistake and then you have to give refunds or you've got to do various things or, you know, they've made a mistake and bought the wrong thing. And so you've got this expense for this thing. That you can't, get a refund back on. Like there's lots of things that will happen and what I see is so many people stop. That's where they get. Like most small business owners get to that manager level yeah. and they never make the leap into what I call a business owner. So if you're in the self-employed and you're in that manager level, you you are a business operator. Yeah. You're not a business owner in my eyes. You you're a business operator. The business still relies on you in the day-to-day operations to do what it does. If you want to make the next level up, you need to be able to cross that that border from going to manager to leader. And once you're in the leader stage, now you've crossed the border. You're in the business owner land. Now you can start to go. Well, I trust my people. You manage yourself. I'm leading you. I'm giving you the vision. Here's where we're going. I'm steering the ship. I'm the captain of the ship. I'm steering it, but I'm not necessarily the one who's rowing the oars or
1: turning the wheel or whatever.
0: Exactly. 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 And so. There's a few things that need to happen. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a bit more. Like I'm a big believer of if you're self-employed trying to get to manager and even if you're early days manager, the two things you need to be focused on really, or actually one thing to focus on first is automation. Yep. And when I'm talking automation, I'm not talking about tech. Yep. Not Systemization. Totally. I'm, I'm talking about you not doing things and that means tech and team. Right. So this is about how can you invest in tech? So obviously with automation agency, We help people with things like email marketing systems where you can create client experiences of like someone opts into this form and they get this email and two days later, they get this email. Like these are things that shockingly to me at times, people still manually do. And the problem with that is it's inconsistent. You get distracted, something goes wrong, you send out the wrong email. So how can you leverage that to a piece of technology that can keep, create the consistency that needs to be there because clients trust consistency. Um, then, but not everything can be done by technology, or even if it can be, not everything should be. And so you need Good to leverage point. team. Good point. You need to leverage team as well. And you start building up that team who can um, support you. And a really easy place to start for most people, uh, most business owners I know hate admin. So start there, you know, get a bookkeeper and it doesn't have to be an individual. It could be an agency, but get a bookkeeper, get someone who can come in and help with paperwork. Or if you're not doing a lot of paperwork, get a, a virtual assistant who can help with a bit of, you know, handling emails and calendar, get a bit of admin support. The next place that I believe, if you truly want to build a business that works without you, the next place to focus on tech and team is in the delivery. Yeah. You know, a lot of people get to a point where they go, Oh, I'm going to, st- I want to bring in marketers. I want to do this. If if you're the key person who does delivery in your business and you manage to successfully hire someone who's going to take over marketing and and a lot of people try to abdicate marketing rather than delegate marketing. They try and go, I just need clients, get me clients. Yep. That usually doesn't work all that out all that well. Right. Um, but if you do that and let's say they do successfully bring you clients and you're the deliverable piece, you're going to hit a bottleneck. You're going to be like, stop, stop, turn off the ads, turn off the marketing thing. I'm too busy. Okay. Get foundations right first get you out of the delivery or at least the majority of the delivery uh because you know if you're a coach a a lot of my friends and clients are coaches and you know it's it's challenging for them because they've built a business around their individual brand it's not impossible but it is challenging so they but they can remove themselves out of a lot of the delivery and reduce their deliverable to a couple of hours a week if possible so um you just really look at how do you remove you from the delivery component? It's not about reducing the value you give to your clients. If anything, it's how do you give them better value, but how do you ensure that you're not the person doing all the stuff?
1: Perfect. And Once and you've great, done that. A great example of that, a lot of, I know a lot of coaches as well, and I've interviewed a lot of coaches on the show, and a lot of times they set up loads of different packages and um, styles of models where they might be doing some of the delivering themselves, but then they have a lot of virtual online, pre-recorded sessions that people go and do so they're not needed so that's a that's the kind of example of what you're saying
0: yeah totally and then you know the next level there is that um they employ their own other coaches as well who become like the check-in points and those check-in points just know the the content the virtual delivered content so well that they can then point them to ah your problem is this go and check out module xyz oh your problem is this go and check out this and then that way even as you as the brand can be even further up the chain and not be as involved in maybe as as much every day. So there's a lot that can be done there. Um I mean I I one of my favorites, T harv Eker, one of the best, you know, seminar. I've been to a few different, I'm a big fan of seminars and coaches. I've had many over the years, still have them now. T harv Eker is one of my favorites. Um one, because the content, the quality of the content that he delivered even at his free event was incredible, changed the way I managed my money. Um, but he's the first person I truly saw build a seminar business built around his brand name where you would show up and not expect to see him at the event. That's impressive. (laughs) And you know, not even Tony Robbins can do that. You go to a Tony Robbins event, you expect Tony to be there. Right. And he's done different things to reduce his time. He doesn't show up every day and stuff for Tony, but he's still there. Whereas T-Hav, I went through his whole quantum leap program and there was only one event which was the first preview sales event that Harv was there, the rest, he wasn't there. And I didn't, I wasn't fussed. I didn't care because the quality was so it, he just systemized. It was a beautiful example of what ca- is possible in any business model, even though it was built around his brand. And then he sold that business. He doesn't even own that business anymore, but it's mm. still out there. The T Harv Ecker model, cause he doesn't have to deliver it. He sold it to someone else and they still deliver it under his brand. So it's so as, long yeah, as everything
1: t- that is, as long as everything is delivered on brand, you don't have to be the one to actually deliver it yourself.
0: Correct. And that's not always easy. That's not always easy, right? Like as you start to build teams, like I've got a team of over 50 now, uh, let me tell you it. It's basically, there's always something going wrong. There's always someone doing something that, you know, is not the way that I would like it done. I'm not going to say it the way it shouldn't be done because I'm not going to judge that, but it's not necessarily the way I would like it done. And, um, that's hard. Like there is a, there is a true, and this is why I think that business is the most powerful personal development vehicle you will ever do. Uh, you grow so much because, you know, I grew so much before I had teams and things that I learned in confidence. I was a very shy kid. And so I built a lot of confidence through my success and different things in business. I could even say that probably a lot of my striving for success came from not feeling loved as a child, not from my parents, but by, by society, right. from my lack of confidence. And I thought that money success would make me enough and I would be loved. Yep. But what ultimately happened is now I'm at a point where I've then had to try and deal a lot more with loving what is. Yep. Life is okay. Like, okay, this thing happened. This mistake happened. That's exactly how it was meant to be. What can I learn from that? There's a lesson here. Life's happening for me, not to me. What do I need to do? And that's a big shift and it's happened for multiple reasons in my life. Some personal, some business, but definitely learning to let go of team members not doing it the way I want it done has been a really big way of kind of killing your own ego, a bit of death of just like my way may not be the best way. Um, Or maybe I fail in providing the resources providing the training, providing the structure, the the systems, the documented processes. And that's another really important part of, of what you need is you need to start documenting processes. You need to start systemizing. Um, and here's a big thing that a lot of people make mistake is you should, before you go and optimize something like automate, if you're going to automate something, automate the way you're currently doing it. Separate, you know, automation from creating a new system perfect they're they're completely different automate the system as it's currently working get that going now come in and look at how do we optimize how do we be creative and how do we change this system too many people go oh there's my current system but i really want to automate it and they'll go and automate it and they'll go and change all this stuff and it becomes this huge mess whereas it's a lot easier to go this is the way i've been doing it yeah it's not great but let's at least get some freedom now it's automated it's consistently doing that that's now we can start maybe measuring it and decide what we want to change. And um, so that's a big tip as well.
1: Perfect, perfect. I love it. Um, and that's fantastic. And while you're talking, a couple of things come to mind. Obviously, if, when you're automating even the documentation part of it or the systems part of it, even for your own team, even just running a couple, of, you know, putting a few little videos together. So that's scalable as well. So, so people can, be, can learn how to do things through videos. So again, you're not the one delivering even the training of your own team.
0: Oh, total, Oh, 100%. Like the, the quickest way to create any kind of system, if, if you're doing something, uh, and I'm not perfect at this either, but if you're doing something, like just ask yourself, hold on, will this need to be done again by someone? Even if you don't have any team members yet and it's just you, but will this need to be done again? Yes, it will. Grab Loom. If you, oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Loom on your computer. Mm-hmm. Grab Loom, click record That's- and just record it. And as you're doing the thing, explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. And now you've created a system and in future, you know, you don't even need to document like longer term. You might get them out of the video and into a text document, but guess what? Even you don't need to do that. If you've got a video recorded, you can pay someone else who watches the video and then turns it into a documented system. You've done the hard work. You did the thing and you recorded yourself doing it. There's a system that now exists that you'll be infinitely in a better position to hire someone and say, Hey, I want you to do this, this, and this. Here's all the instructions. Here's how to do it.
1: Isn't technology fantastic. Unbelievable. Um, And now, obviously, when it comes to business, you know, one of your key um, philosophies as well is to give back to society, put a business together that's actually giving back, not just building a business for your own, you know, pocket. So tell us more about that. And is there a time when sometimes those two concepts can conflict, you know, whether you're doing something for your own good and you're doing something for society's good? Do they ever oppose each other or are they always synergistic?
0: It's a great question. And I don't know if I know the answer to whether they are <laughs> always synergistic or uh, synergistic or, or, or opposed. But I, I, what I can tell you is that it's not always been that way. Like I'm not going to say stand here all high and mighty and saying like, I've built businesses this way forever. This is a f- more recent shift for me. Uh, for a long time, the reason I was in business was purely to try and create certainty, security a feeling of success. Why do I want to feel successful? Because I wanted to feel like I was enough and that I would be loved. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately the biggest shift happened when I financially kind of retired, right? So financial retirement, what does that mean? It means I have more passive income coming in than my actual expenses. Like even if my businesses collapsed, disappeared on me, Mm -hmm. I have income that comes into me consistently um, that I don't have to swap time for money for. Nice. Are not tied to my business that allow me to live a very comfortable life. And that took a lot, you know, there was, there was some luck involved in that if you believe in luck or, or fate or whatever, but there was, there was some luck in how that came about. I'm a big fan of there are things you can do and, and it's probably more than we can cover in this podcast, but like, there are things you can do to try and create that. But I'd spent years trying to create that. And then there were certain elements, situations that created luck that really brought in a lot of cash for me in that point of view. Right. When that happened, it really started to shift things because I no longer had to do what I was doing. I no longer built the business for me because I, I actually got selfish. What I realized is I got selfish um, because I was like, well, I don't really want to grow the business because what's another hundred grand going to do for me? Like, what's that, that, that was literally the conversation I was having with some of my friends. People were like, why don't you push this and do this? And I was like, but why? Like, what's the point? And this was really a shift that happened for me last year. Where um, I was at a Tony Robbins event that actually uh, helped me help, like t- turned on the light bulb for me. Where I just all of a sudden saw in many areas in my life, my relationships, in personal life, uh, my relationship with my family, my relationship with my partner at that time, um, as well as a relationship with the business, I could just see how much had been selfish. I was so focused on me, 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 and it was like, well, hold on. If I do not continue to grow this business, we, I think at the time we had 30 something team members. I was like, we, um, if I don't continue to grow, like I'm robbing opportunities for more. And most of our team are in the Philippines. And if you've ever hired in the Philippines or worked with Filipinos, when you hire a Filipino, you're not just paying them, you're paying pretty well their whole family. family. Like, because that one Filipino who's working with you, They're often putting their brother or sister through college. They're paying for the food and rent for the house, the electricity, as well as, you know, some of their own living expenses, if there's anything left. And so it's like, hold on. These are all these families that we could be helping. Not only that is like, well, there's so many, a huge portion of our clients are coaches, uh, probably about 80%. There are so many coaches out there who are struggling with this technology. They're struggling to get these things done. And they're going and they're learning about all these funnels and this tech stuff they need to set up, okay. and then they struggle to do it, and so they so they go and hire these people who maybe rip them off, or they go and try and figure it out themselves, or they go and and they struggle with this thing, and we're, I'm I'm robbing them of providing them something that can help help them help them grow, and so I that's why I actually believe that not building a business that can work without you, you are not you are kind of a robbing the opportunities of employment and this was also a big shift for me too is i used to be i don't know if anyone listening can relate to this i used to be really um stingy i didn't want to spend money i was really like i don't want to spend money like why would i spend money i don't need and then i started to realize that hold on this is how the system that we're in the economic system of capitalism whether you like it or not this is the system we are in as a society The way it was designed to work is that we spend money and when I spend that money, if I increase my cost of living, if I spend this extra money, that's helping that person put food on their table, it's helping them employ more people, it's helping them increase the standard of living. And I got this insight from a book, Um, it was a book called How to Be Rich. Now, it's not an amazing book. I'm not saying rush out. It's not my favorite book ever. It was written by J. Paul Getty, who at one point was the richest man in the world. He basically brought oil into the United States. He was the man that kind of really got that happening. And in this book, How to Be Rich, there was just a small little section where he talked about how he didn't believe that wealth was something to accumulate and accumulate. Even though he was the richest man in the world, he was talking, he didn't believe it was this thing that should just be stockpiled like many people today do. He's like the purpose of wealth was is to improve the standard of living for everyone, for yourself, for the people around you, for society. That seed planted, combined with some of the insights I had from my Tony Robbins event about selfishness, dramatically changed my view of business yeah. and really put me into a more contribution focused. So, do I think they can uh, exist, or do they ever oppose? I don't know. Uh, it's still a still a newer thing for me, but I'm a big believer that the more successful you are and you're making more money, if you're doing it, if you're not just stockpiling that money, but you're then reinvesting it back by spending or giving or whatever you want to do, but there is actually contribution in spending money. Yeah. Like that, that was a huge thing to go, hold on me. Spending money is actually a contribution of it. If I choose to invest in this if I sign up to this product, whether I need it or not, I'm investing. Like if I choose to increase the standard of living of where I'm living, I'm, I'm contributing to someone else and their society and all their jobs and who they're... And at this time with COVID and stuff, that's even more prevalent. You go and buy that coffee. Not only are you contributing to keeping those people employed, but maybe giving the confidence to this, this cafe owner that it's okay to stick it out. They don't have to shut the shop. That simple act of buying one coffee. This is the power of what money can do. Now, I'm not saying I, I fully agree with what money is. I mean It's just a concept. But the power of what it can do is really be a force for good. And so I believe that it is an important part for us in our own journey to go through everything we need to go through. But then the more we can make so that we've got more to give, uh, and that can happen through you making lots of money and then giving it external, or it can be what I'm doing, building a business that continues to grow, needs to hire more people. We can, it's in a model that can serve more people at a larger scale so that we can be contributing through jobs and employment. so i feel like i'm helping our clients improve and because a lot of them are coaches there's a ripple effect that mm-hmm. i help them succeed they're helping more people which I, which is one of the things i love about the coaching market mm-hmm. but then i'm also helping by growing and helping the, the team members which i know is more families and we've got australian team members we've got us team members but a lot of them are in the philippines and so there's this contribution and then what i might take from the business I then go and spend and I utilize or I give or I donate and do different things. And that's a way of contributing as well. So that. That, that's my fundamental belief of businesses is actually a really great way to contribute to society outside of the product or service you might do. You don't need to be an Elon Musk taking us to Mars, you know, exactly. um, to, to make a big difference.
1: You can reinvest in your business, but you can also reinvest in the world and in society. Yeah. That's a beautiful concept. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. Well, I mean, I want to jump a little ahead to your book now because I want to chat about your book. So I'm going to quote here. I've read, I've heard you say about your new book, the new book's called, um, where is it? Uh, Becoming Bulletproof. Becoming Bulletproof. Love it. And I've heard you say, the world as we know know it is purely a story. So tell yourself better stories and you are bulletproof to anything. So tell us more about that concept and how you came up with it.
0: So, this uh, the idea of the world was just stories has been floating around my mind for many many years. Um, how it all kind of came to a head and how the book really I got to really truly go take some of these surface level ideas that had been in my head for years and bring it into my body as a true knowing um, was because last year uh, I. Went through a separation of a you know six and a half year relationship, and when that came to an end, it was at the time extremely painful, and um, it just sent me down a path of personal growth in a way that I can I've not experienced in the years and decades that I've done seminars and courses and things like an event like that. If you if someone listening has ever been through a divorce or something like that, and they can relate, they probably know what I'm talking about. Like it's it's often through our biggest pain moments that our best growth comes.
1: Definitely,
0: and that particular event sent me down a path of really going, you know what the world is. I know I'm going to try different things. Like I went to past live readers. I, uh, and I, I was a really non woo woo kind of person. I was like, you know what? And I went to this past life reader. I was in Thailand. So I, that's sort the of thing I kind of like, I can't deal. I'm going to Thailand. I'm just going to chill out for a bit and f- figure out what I'm, what I'm doing. <laughs> I stepped away from my business for eight months. I just went, I'm, I'm stepping away from the business. I'm not going to do anything. I trust you guys. And I just worked on me for eight months and the past life reader said, said some stuff to me that just, I was like, Whoa, like if this was just cold reading and um, it just really resonated now, I don't know whether I fully believe it, but I was just, it really took me off guard.
1: I'm just going to jump in. It reminds me of that movie, eat, pray, love where Julia Roberts goes to Bali and the Balinese um, wise sage says something to her. But anyway, I've just, uh, you know, just wanted to add that
0: Cool. Spoiler. I don't know if I've ever seen Eat, a- Pray, Love, but, uh, that's, <laughs> but totally, totally, like it, what then happened is then it led me to a book by an incredible human being, Byron Katie called Loving What Is. Nice. And I read this book and it's like, when I read her book, all the thoughts, everything else that I'd had, for years my own thoughts around like it's all it's all bullshit um you know society you know the rules that we play like it's all it's all made up by humans that's what it is
1: what is this game that we play yeah.
0: like i've always put you know i fully respect for everyone's beliefs and what they are but i've always had a fascination of the history of religion in particular the christian religion i've gone down many rabbit holes of trying to understand you know did Jesus truly exist? Did he not? I've, I've watched documentaries and read books about why he did. I've read ones about why he didn't. Um, and I have just always been fascinated. I, I'm a bit of a fence sitter on all of these things. Like I just wanted to consume. And the more and more I learned around religion origins, as well as the more I learned about you know, economics and capitalism, the more I was just like, it's all been made up. It's all stories. And then uh, loving what is has this amazing process in it, which I do talk about in, in becoming Bulletproof. It's these four question process that byron katie gets you to do where you can inquire on any thought any thought that you have because where does our suffering come from our suffering comes from a thought we have a thought that we choose to believe is true in that moment and because we believe it to be true if it's something that it causes a suffering it needs to be inquired on and we can look at it and the first question is is it true and you might say yes it is true like let's let's go for a thought um well, I, I think one of the early ones, Darren, that you said was like, you know, building a business that works without me is, is hard. Yeah. Well, is that true?
1: is that true? Yeah.
0: That's and you, a might, say, that's a you might say, you might say yes.
1: Disputed and can be changed.
0: Yeah. You might say, yes, it is. And it's like, okay, can you absolutely know that it's true? This is the second question. Can you absolutely know with a hundred percent certainty that that's true? And what I've found, and it can be unique for everyone. I've found that nearly anything that I've ever got to the point where I've had to say, can I absolutely know with hundred percent certainty that it's true? I, I very rarely have found something that I can say yes to. Wow. And to the point of, I could argue, right. My eyes are Brown, yeah. right? That's, that's you know, I've, what society would say. I have Brown eyes. Is that true? I've had people tell me that they can see gold in my eyes. Yeah. Do I have Brown <laughs> eyes or do I have gold eyes?
1: I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so
0: true. Um, if I found someone who had never seen the color brown before, if I said to them, I have blue eyes, would they believe me? That's
1: so true. Yep.
0: Would they, if they didn't know the color, the concept of what society has told us, this color is brown. Mm-hmm. So there's so much layers. And there's more than we can probably do in, in this podcast. But I go through in the book in, in Becoming Bulletproof, I talk about a whole bunch of different stories that society has told us about money, laws. I mean, a law is just a story that yep. we choose collectively to agree with. And I have no problem with this. It's just more about, you know, unveiling the way the world is. That we as humans, one of the one of the best things in a great book called *Sapiens* by Noah Yuval Harari, he talks about the idea that probably the reason that humans became the dominant species on the planet, like we are, is our ability to tell stories, to communicate in stories, to to which allows us to get big groups of us together to agree. Yeah. Like think about an airplane, for example, if you got a hundred people, aerop- people on an airplane and you know, the light says, fasten up your seatbelt. We pretty well all, maybe except for one person who might be a bit annoying, we'll all do it. Yeah. We all Why? Because we've been told the story that for our safety, we need to buckle up our, our seatbelts sure. and we agree and we do it. And this is just the way it is. And so we choose to do it and we all comply. You get a hundred Chimpanzees, or something you know that's fairly close de- from a genetic makeup to us, put them on an airplane and you tell them to do up their seatbelt. Are they going to do it? They're going to go crazy. Why? Because they can't understand the same concept of this story at that scale. You might be able to, and I'm not a chimpanzee expert, but you might be able to on a small scale get a th- few of them to talk to each other and agree on something. Yeah. But necessarily to the scale of a hundred people to keep them all in kind of compliance, if you think of it that way. So I talk a little bit about that in becoming Bulletproof and it's just really about if the concept is, if you understand the world is made up of stories and it's the stories you're telling yourself and that people have told you and you've chosen to believe, like I used to believe the story that I was shy and introverted. Um, I had, I had an incident when I was eight year, uh, I was in under eight soccer. Uh, I had a soccer coach, who just consistently yelled at me telling me I was a girl, um, you know, I was a wimp. And that affected me for years. It affected me for years around my views of, was I masculine enough? Was I good enough? Which then impacted my relationships. It impacted how I showed up in business. Now, did he do that did he make me believe that? Or did I believe that? I was the one that interpreted, he said those things for whatever reason that was in his experience. Chose to I
1: internalize that and, and that had a ricochet effect on your internal dialogue.
0: Yeah. And it was all on me. I chose to interpret it and create a meaning. I created a story out of what he said and I continued to fuel that story through various events throughout my life, either with women or whatever, that well, I would go, oh, that's an example of how I'm not masculine enough. Oh, that's an example of how, you know, I, I'm, I'm too feminine or whatever. Like this was the stories that were going on in my mind. And so this book came out of me in that eight month kind of period. Um, it was a bit less than eight months when I wrote the book, but of kind of shedding all that, that it was like coming to realize this in full color start to really look at all these different stories that i was telling myself the stories i was telling myself about the separation the stories i was telling myself about things that had happened in my past um you know memories i even went and started going back through memories from when i was like a young kid and high school and i just started going like charge i was like what's a memory that i can really remember where i felt either excited or angry about and i listed it out on a big piece of paper and it was like what do i believe happened what was the here's the situation, and what did what did I take from that? what did I take the meaning to be what and then I'll start to deconstruct it and just go, "Well, hold on, is that what happened like that was my experience, but let's look at it this from other perspectives that may be just as true and uh yeah, it just it really fundamentally it one it brought a lot of peace uh, to at a time that I was internally quite um agitated and <laughs> In that moment, it then brought a lot of clarity, and um, I was just feeling so in flow of this understanding that I wrote, 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 becoming bulletproof. And my goal with becoming bulletproof was like never to really make a lot of money. When I wrote Red Means Go, I thought, "Oh, I'm going to be rich and famous from writing a book. I'm going to be on Oprah." <laughs> and you can tell that you can, you, if if you read both books, you'll be able to tell the energy difference between uh, 2009 Carl and 2019 Carl. Um, I've had that feedback and I I can see it too. And um, yeah, whereas Becoming Bulletproof was like, this is just an important message. I believe more people need to know. I believe if more people understood this, there would be more happiness or peace at least in the world for themselves. And uh, I just was like, I want to spread this. But more than anything, both of these books, I wrote them for me. And I know that there's a lot of value for others, but it's a reminder for me. It's a snapshot of where I was at. And it's, I, I still read red means go every now and then uh, becoming bulletproof is still fresh. So I haven't necessarily read that many times over the years yet, but, um, I can imagine that I totally will and
1: uh, audio versions of these books.
0: There, there is an audio version of red means go, uh, audible I won't go into it. I had a publisher that kind of didn't do the right thing by me. So right now they are not available on audible, Uh, Becoming Bulletproof hasn't been recorded yet, but the plan is they will be. So for now they're on Kindle and paperback. Uh, If you desperately, desperately need an audio version and you want Red Means Go audio version, you can contact me directly and I can organize that because I do have those uh, audio files. But um, Becoming Bulletproof, watch this space.
1: Awesome. I love it, man. I'm looking forward to it. Now, my last question is I want to obviously talk a little bit more about your business, Automation Agency. So tell us a bit more about what what that is how can people find that? How can people access that service? And, uh, you know, I'd love to give you that opportunity to do so.
0: Well, thanks man. Um, Yeah, look, I mean, automation agency, who do we serve? I've already mentioned coaches is a big market for us. We also work with a lot of digital marketing agencies who kind of resell us, white label us uh, either for fixed deliverable projects, key projects that they do over and over and over again for clients um, or more for overflow work where they're doing a lot of stuff and they're like, I need a bit of support. I don't want to hire, manage and train my own staff. The idea behind automation agency is you can use our trained team. Like we've taken care of the hiring, the recruitment, we, we manage them. We're training them. Uh, you've got to manage them in terms of the tasks you want to send us, but we're a flat monthly fee. You pay us this, uh, amount every month and you get unlimited access to the team. You send it as much as you want. We have different tiers that kind of move faster versus slower, more, you get more active tasks that are worked on at the same time. Uh, But the core crux is how do we help you start delegating a lot of your marketing? And the reason that I focus on marketing is, you know, there's so many areas in business that we can help, but so many business owners struggle when it comes to the marketing stuff. And, you know, look, there's lots that I could help people with around the delivery side of what they do and systems. And, you know, I'm sure one day that there'll either be a service or a training or something that I'll do for that. But um, the core part that most business owners need is without marketing, you have no business. Like this was a a belief. This was not a belief. This was a realization. I
1: agree. I cannot express this all the time. 100% agree.
0: So like zany effects, why why did it fail? Because I didn't have any marketing. I didn't know how to market it back in the day. And, and so marketing is a, is a core principle of any successful business. Marketing can be automated to a, a big degree with tech. There's some amazing marketing technology out there. Um, Entreport, Infusionsoft, campaign. So we work with specific platforms. So the best thing you could do is go to automationagency.com. Uh, we have a demo video. It's, 24 minutes. I do encourage you to to spend the time. You can double speed it if you need to, uh, if you'd prefer to go through it faster. But watch the demo. It's a really great explanation of how the service works, who it's good for, who it's not for. Also, we've got a a page called um, supported platforms. You can see all the platforms we work with. Uh, Basically, these are the platforms that we've worked with for years. We're experts in, we train our team highly. And we can't work with every tool under the sun. There's a thousand popping up every day. We just stick to the ones that have been around for a long time, uh, have a lot of trust and are used by some of the leading digital marketers. And um, that's really what we're about is how do we help you build out projects, funnels, make tweaks to your website, we can host your website, no additional cost, Um, just free up your day. So that you have an idea, Oh, fix this thing. Oh, there's a thing broken. Or someone says, oh, did you notice on your website this thing's broken? You can just flick off an email or log into our portal and just let us know. Or you have a new idea, you sketch it out on a piece of paper. Here's how I want this automated flow to work. When someone fills in this form, I want them to get this email. Then two days later, I want them to get this email. And then if they do this, I want them to then have this happen. You don't need to know how it's done in the tech. You just need to be able to explain the flow, send it to the team and we'll worry about how to make it actually happen. So that's what we do.
1: No, automationagency.com. Yeah. Love it. Well, Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've covered a lot of ground today. You know, we've covered yes. building businesses. We've covered marketing. We've covered writing. We've covered philosophy. We've covered giving back to society. And the list goes on. So I'm definitely going to be re-listening to this and re-watching this many times. Because I've learned a hell of a lot. And I hope the audience has really got a lot of insight from Carl and his experience um so uh mate really appreciate you coming on the show and that was a sensational conversation so i really appreciate all your time
0: my pleasure darren it's privileged to be here and thank uh, you so much for everything you're doing
1: my pleasure. and any final thoughts you want to leave us in this time about anything
0: uh i think the only final thought i'd really give people is just ask yourself is it true you have that thought about anything. I can do this. I can't do this. That person should have done that. This person shouldn't have done that. Just check in. Just go, well, actually, is that true? And maybe consider the opposite that they shouldn't have done that. Or I can do this. And just see if that may be true too. Yep. So that's what I'd leave you with.
1: Fantastic. I love it. Well, Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. Really appreciate it. For all the audience out there, I'm going to put all the links to what Carl's been up to in his book and his businesses in the show notes. So please check those out and go and visit his uh, 24 minute video on, on his uh, website as well, automation agency. And we'll be back on Monday for another episode of playing with perspective. the suspended animation podcast. Bye for now.
0: See ya. You've been listening to The Kyle Taylor Show, and I'm so grateful that you're here right now. Now, if you've liked this episode and would like to hear more from me, then there's two simple actions to take right now. Step one, click subscribe on whatever device you're listening to this on right now so that you can get notified about future episodes. So go on, do it right now. Find that subscribe button and click it. Step two, now that you've done that, is visit me over at carltaylor.com. On the website there, you'll be able to find the show notes from today's episode, as well as all the previous episodes, plus details on how to get copies of my books, details on how to get in contact with me, and so much more. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart that I'm so grateful that you are here. It's an absolute honor to be a part of your journey. And Until next time, just be happy, be healthy, be fulfilled, but most importantly, be awesome.